Our reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 18, where Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It has been a momentous couple of weeks for Andros Townsend. And if you don't know who Andros Townsend is, you're clearly not an avid follower of England's, England's success in qualifying for the World Cup in Brazil. Nor have you been aware of the controversial half-time talk given by Roy Hodgson to the team in the dressing room. But England won games against Montenegro and Poland, both of them historic opponents, which we've struggled to beat in the past. And the significance for Townsend was that he had his first opportunities to play for England in these matches. He was given his debut against Montenegro. And the verdict seems to be that his contribution played a vital role in making England a much more aggressive and exciting team to watch. For him, getting a place in the English team is amazing 
particularly given his troubled background. He came through the Spurs Academy, but never really found his niche. And he's ended up on loan successively to Yeovil Town, Leighton Orient, MK Dons, Ipswich, Watford, Millwall, Millwall, Leeds, Portsmouth, didn't even play for them, Birmingham and QPR. The extent to which he's moved around is an indication of how hard it's found it actually to play successful football with a team. And when you add into that his suspension for gambling at one point and his reputation for diving, it is quite remarkable really that he's found a place on the England side. But he was selected and he worked hard in those two matches and we trust he will continue to do so as he plays football for his company, for his country. Being selected to play for a national team is daunting. These two matches, people have been able to see Townsend giving it everything he had. There was no sign of any indifference to the privilege of playing for your country that's been a frequent and justifiable criticism of members of the England squad in the past. It is an immense privilege to play for England, and it carries with it the responsibility of giving it everything you've got. So it's the same, actually, when you are chosen and called and selected by the sovereign of the universe and claimed as one of his beloved children. Your past mistakes and failures are forgiven. Everything that makes you unworthy is set aside. You are destined for eternal life. And all of this wrapped up in his gift to you of salvation. That is infinite grace bestowing on us immense privilege and bringing with it the corresponding responsibility of giving the Christian life everything we've got, doing our best for the one who has called us and chosen us and made us his own. That is part of what Paul meant when he told the Philippians, you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God has given you so much. Immense privilege brings with it immense responsibility. Give it everything you've got. We here this morning, like the Philippian Christians, have been earmarked for salvation. Our place in heaven is assured through Jesus Christ. The final outcome of our lives is guaranteed. But in the meantime, here and now, we are rubbing shoulders with people who are not Christians, who may be either uncomprehending or even hostile towards our faith, though we experience nothing of the kind of persecution which Mark prayed about earlier, experienced by Christians in India or indeed in many other countries in the world. But in this kind of context... What does it mean for us to live our whole lives wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ? What does it mean for me to live as someone who says, here and now, Jesus is Lord, while around me are people who don't understand what that means and actually might be quite hostile towards the idea? Andy, if we could have a slide up, please. Make no mistake, if you are a Christian, you are going to be different. If you are going to heaven because of your faith in Christ and those around you are not, here and now, right now, you will be heading in a different direction to everybody else because your ultimate destination is different. If you're going to end up somewhere different, you're going to be heading in a different direction from those around you. 
And Paul gives one basic litmus test of the quality of our faith. If we live as people who hold fast to the word of life, then that should have a transforming impact on our whole attitude to daily living. Do everything, he says then, without complaining or arguing. That sounds pretty mundane and, and pretty simple and pretty straightforward. Easy to understand, harder to do, perhaps. Even, I won't say especially, I will say even in a church. But being a Christian should have such an impact on our lives that we find reasons to be cheerful, even in the midst of circumstances and amongst people where life is difficult. And when everybody else around you is complaining and arguing and running things down and being awkward and difficult, you have a responsibility to be positive. It is one of those simple yet distinctive ways in which you as a Christian are called to be different. And it is a telling distinction because I think it is part and parcel of our culture to grumble. We who have so much are so dissatisfied with the plenty that we have. Graham has been talking for weeks about pictures of people in the floods of Cambodia standing there in the midst of dirty water wearing white clean shirts with brilliant smiles on their faces. How do they manage that? How do they manage to be so cheerful and positive in such adverse circumstances, whereas for us, we end up being so miserable when we have so little to complain about? But as Christians, we're called to be different. If you make it your aim and goal to get on with living without complaining about other people or arguing with other people, then there is something seriously and significantly countercultural to that. Because we do live in a society where people love to grumble. And if you live that way, Paul says, you will shine like stars in a darkened universe. You will stand out as being different and distinctive in the midst of what he describes as a crooked and depraved generation. Scarcely very complimentary terms. But maybe you catch a glimpse of his meaning if you think about the quality of other people's conversations. Because there are people who never say what they mean, who never mean what they say, whose word is never to be trusted, who will twist and distort the truth to serve their own ends. Our conversation is a measure of the kind of person that we are. But in your speech, there should be a direct correlation between what you say, what you mean, and what is true. Be different, because you are different. You are different because you have Christ in you. You are different because you are destined for eternal life. And part of that ability to live life a different way is being confident in your identity in Christ. One of the reasons why people grumble and moan so much is that they feel undervalued and overlooked. It's a sense of powerlessness and marginalisation that makes people feel angry. And most of us will have been there at some point. But Paul says, look at the resources available to you 
to enable you to live positively on a spiritual level, that level which other people discount because they don't believe in God. It is God himself who is at work in you to give you both the desire and the ability to do what is right and pleasing. And the word ability there is the one from which our word energy comes. Because of God, the internal power you need is working within you. When other people around you are complaining and arguing, it's very easy just to let them set the tone and join in. But when that happens, we just blend into the darkness. But God's power within us finds expression in our ability to shine like stars, to hold out the word of life rather than joining in the destructive conversation, to speak what is good and to be so filled with the Spirit of Christ that people cannot but notice the light of God shining within us. That is the way in which God's energy, God's power, manifests itself. Even if you don't speak a word of overt Christian witness and testimony, you will be distinctive in a way that will make people think about what is it about that person. It's a tall order. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I'd be out of a job if we all lived that way. It's a daunting prospect, and one of which none of us will be 100% successful. But it should be our goal. And we will never succeed in living openly and effectively for Christ. Unless we recognise this is what we're called to do and we actually make an effort. Giving it everything we've got. Working out our salvation on a day-to-day basis. And asking for God's grace to live for him that way every single day is part of what it means to work out our salvation. It's not an optional extra. We are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? I prefer the the New English Bible, which talks about awe and reverence. That combination of reverence, respect, dread and wonder inspired by the greatness and the majesty and the holiness of God. Recognise who it is you're dealing with here. God is not some pocket genie you can summon to do your bidding at a prayer. This is the deity whom you cannot meet without being absolutely terrified or overwhelmed at the prospect. Recognise the greatness and the awesomeness of the God with whom it is we have to do. The power of the God who summons us to live our lives for him. And the way in which he personally equips us with that power so that we can do precisely with that. It is because we are dealing with God, the Eternal One, the Sovereign of Heaven, the Creator of everything that is, the One who has the power of life and death. Recognise His greatness and work out your salvation with reverence and awe. Mike Iaconelli was spot on when he said, the tragedy of modern faith is that we are no longer capable of being terrified. We aren't afraid of God. We aren't afraid of Jesus. We aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit. As a result, 
we've ended up with a need-centered gospel that attracts thousands but transforms no one. And that's profound because the gospel is not all about me and about my needs and about what I want. It's about God's agenda to change and transform me into the likeness of his son. And while the gospel is about Jesus coming right down to our level and being with us, dying on a cross for us, it is also about him changing us more and more into his likeness. It's been said that God loves us enough to accept us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. It is part of his agenda to change us into the image of his son Jesus, who is the perfect model of what it means to be a human being. To change us from one degree of glory to another so that we live more and more as the people of heaven in a godless culture and so end up shining like stars in the universe. Your life, if you're a Christian, is in the hands of the living God. And that can feel a bit like signing a form before you have an operation. You need to have complete confidence in the person doing the surgery. But equally, you are likely to experience anything from mild anxiety to absolute panic. Why? Because you're not in control. You're not in control of the outcome. And that makes us vulnerable. And most of us don't like change. But God is in the business of changing us all the time. And part of Christian commitment is that unconditional signing away of our rights to live our life our way. Because if you're following Jesus, your life belongs to God now. And he calls you to live it for him. To allow him to determine your future and how you live in the present. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The good news is that it's God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose, to give you both the desire and the ability to do his will. Our schools are full of teachers who are frustrated by children who have the ability to learn, but a complete lack of willingness to do so. Or conversely, and equally tragically, there are children who really want to learn, but aren't able for whatever reason. If either the basic motivation or the basic skills are missing, you are stuffed. But when it comes to living the Christian life effectively, then you're not in trouble. Because the God who calls you to live effectively for him is also the God who personally guarantees that he himself will give you both the desire and the motivation you need and the ability and the basic skills you need to do precisely what he calls you to do. He's not in the business of engaging people who will fail in the tasks he gives us to do. Because he's there to enable us to do them and to give us grace to start again if we don't manage it. He is a God who empowers those who belong to him. And that's why worship is so important. That's why what we do here on a Sunday morning is not an optional extra. It is a vital part of being enabled to live for God Monday to Saturday. Where is the focus of your gaze? If you spend your time looking at everybody else around you, there is a danger that you might end up following their example. Or feeling proud because you're better than them or insecure because you're not as good as them. 
If you look inside yourself all the time, it's easy to end up being persuaded of your own inadequacy. But in worship, we look up. We look up to the God who created us, to the God who saves us, the God who calls you his beloved child, whose holiness cannot but inspire reverence and awe in our hearts, and who doesn't just call you to live unconditionally for him, he also equips you with everything you need to do precisely that, all the way from the internal motivation to the basic resources and skills. It is his goal and aim to keep shaping you and moulding you into the image of his Son so that you will be blameless and pure and without fault as you live for him. And worship is one of the ways in which we do that because the more we focus on Christ, the more like him we become. God knows what the final product of your life is going to look like and he's committed to finishing the job. But he does need you to work out your own salvation with reverence and awe. And only you can do this. Though Jack and I are your ministers and we will walk with you and pray for you and support you all we can, we cannot work out anybody else's salvation for them. We can't do it for you. But you don't need us to do it for you. Because it is God himself who is at work in you, to realise his purposes in you, to realise his purposes for you, to realise his purposes through you. So sign the consent form, entrust yourself completely to him, and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who works in you to will and to do according to his good purpose.